Hi everyone, I'm your host Tess from Spellbinding and you're listening to Everyday Witch, a show that helps you discover and unlock the magic within. Hi everyone, today's guest is Nike Oria, who is a creative, intuitive catalyst that helps others create a safe and healing space that are inclusive and reduce harm for Black and Indigenous women and femmes. And I am so honored to have you here today. We connected on Instagram and Nike helped me with figuring out my price points for coaching and being inclusive for other people. So thank you for being on the podcast. And if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to dive into this conversation today. Um, So yeah, I'm a consultant. I help folks create safer spaces in the spiritual and wellness space. Um, I help folks also do ancestral and generational healing within those spaces as well. So I like combining both like the grounded um, I call it like a muggle lifestyle with the woo-woo spiritual in order to get this really nice balance um, when it comes to just navigating this path that we now are doing. Um, and yeah, I like to educate. I like to have uh, conversations that spark a catalyst of um, you know, deprogramming, decolonizing, really questioning the things that we were forced to have embedded in our mindsets um, and just like rooting back to like our ancestral connection as well as we do it all. Yeah. Can you explain what DEI means to the listeners? Yeah. So DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, And you see it really in a lot of business business and marketing, Um, especially after you know, segregation or desegregation, Um, I would say like in the 90s, it was like a huge push in corporations and companies because number one, a lot of folks, like there was more diversity in the workspace, but a lot of folks weren't being included within the structures that were already in place. Um, And so it's been a conversation for a really long time. Really, you see a lot of corporations invest in it and you'll see like a lot of like our education system invest in it as well Um, but it's really just a framework to promote that everyone who's entering a space even like and even more it's even more needed in diverse spaces to be included um, especially for those who have been historically underrepresented or a subject of discrimination because of their background their identity their disability Um, And it's just also bringing folks um, to be in a more happier place within a space where they feel valued and they feel seen and they feel like they have um, a voice in these spaces that sometimes we forget um, to call in folks rather than allow, just expect them to show up and stay there, so. Yeah, that's really what it is. It's very like complex too. I think like different people have different ways of like bringing it in into their framework, but um, that's the gist of it. What inspired you to begin coaching? Because obviously DEI is important, 
but coaching others, especially people who might not think it is important is a whole other thing. And it's probably very stressful and hard sometimes to take that all on. So like what inspired you to do that? And do you find it difficult at times like to not want to strangle people and be like, (laughs) yeah, so like my path, It's very interesting. I like entered the spiritual wellness space in like 2018. um, And I developed my intuition. Um, I dived into ancestral connection, ancestral work. um, And that's where I I would say that I'm really ancestral led. So even like the work that I do with DEI, is very ancestral led. Um, And I was entering a lot of spiritual spaces where I was continuously getting harm. So it was like, I was investing in my healing and I was learning so much, but I was also getting harm at the same time. And it was like this endless cycle that was happening, right? Like maybe I was entering a space and like I was working on my intuition and I was growing so much, but then I would encounter a lot of like microaggressions or like harmful language and harmful behaviors where I would have to then go to therapy. (laughs) process through and so I honestly just got tired of getting harmed in these spiritual spaces where I was investing so much time money and energy um and so also at the time because I was doing a lot of ancestral healing I was connecting that it really is like generational trauma as well from both sides right like those who are triggering and getting triggered um and I don't think that we take enough time to like understand like the generational trauma and cycles and behaviors that have been passed down um so sometimes like people react or they engage in certain behaviors and it feels like it comes from nowhere it's like random but actually it's just another like link to ancestral work that needs to be navigated um so I decided to start consulting and coaching because I wanted to bring a space where we could like have these honest discussions but also do it without shame and guilt because I think that's a lot a lot of times that's what impedes us from doing like this work especially when it comes to like generational um healing like we're so in wrapped in the the guilt and the shame and like that those emotions are really intense and so also it's like a lot of folks are like afraid to have these conversations a lot of folks are afraid to like dive in to like understand that that kind of programming and socialization that we um participate in a lot of folks are afraid to acknowledge the privileges that they do and don't have and so I just wanted to create a space where it felt like folks could come into that space do that and also ensure that the containers were safer in the same way as well like when you do this deep dive of understanding your identity your positionality the ways that you you participate in these harmful structures and the ways that you are harmed in these harmful structures then it's easier to help support and see others who are going through the same thing um And so that was really my goal. And like, that's really my motivation to help folks. And just, I think it's also like, I think it's, I'm come from the mindset that like harm is going to happen in spaces, especially healing spaces, because like we're all coming to heal. So all your traumas are coming up, all your triggers are activated. And so my idea, my thing is not preventing things, right? Like we're human too. Things are going to happen. It's learning how to 
um, be as harm reducing as possible when it does arise and having structures and systems in place to help support the leaders of the space as well to make sure and ensure that they are um, being intersectional in these containers and especially when harm is happening. Sometimes it can be kind of like, you, you're caught off guard when like a microaggression is said and everyone doesn't know what to do. And then like the person who is getting harmed doesn't get the support that they need. And then it, you miss out on really strong community conversations that could either, you know, like break the community and cause friction, or it could be like a, an illuminating like connection um, that really sparks like better understanding of especially like our fellow humans so that was a lot but that's basically how I got into it yeah no I mean you're right it is a lot of shame and guilt and a lot of times people don't know how to ask a question like is this okay or mm-hmm. you know how can I say that in a different way because they just don't know how or if it's okay to ask the question and you do make it okay and not of guilt thing like when I was mm-hmm. talking to you I didn't feel awkward about anything which is great but I feel like there's are so many communities where it's like something was said and then you just like you know ignore it and yeah. move on or try to move on because everyone feels awkward about the whole situation instead of just like asking a question and acknowledging like you know what can we do to make that not happen again. Yeah, and that acknowledgement is so important. Like when we dismiss and ignore things because it feels uncomfortable, it's not that the uncomfort goes away. Um, it's just that it's, I, I honestly feel like it's prolonged because like if you just think in general of a time, especially like when you were younger where something happened and it wasn't acknowledged and then it's ignored and it's dismissed, like that memory is still a core memory that you probably hold on to because like humans thrive when they're acknowledged, they thrive when they're valued. And like, that's also the thing that um, is what like my mission in the spiritual and wellness space is like getting folks to understand, like when you invest in your community in that way where you are, becoming aware of like all the intersecting identities that show up where you create a space where everyone feels valued and seen it just strengthens your community and it strengthens the healing um and yeah when we're like afraid to have these conversations conversations to ask these questions to um really understand at a deeper level um, each other's lived experiences and bring that value to the surface it just doesn't have the same feel as like a community that is more intersectional because also I think in the wellness space community and why you see so many like wellness and spiritual leaders like getting canceled for being like cult- cultish or like they're falling into like cult behavior is because we have we haven't decolonized what community is. Community from like Black and Indigenous cultures is everyone is a part of a space. Everyone has different opinions. They have different strengths. They have different um, things to work on, Um, but they're also accepted and everyone is still valued at the same level. Um, 
whereas I feel like community in the spiritual and wellness space sometimes is just like we all have the same opinions we all think the same we all like the same things we all believe the same thing and so when you have a friction of someone like saying well I'm questioning this one thing it's kind of shamed and dismissed rather than like oh let me invite you into this community and let's explore it together because you might have something to teach me so I think that's also what are the things that I really want to help wellness and spiritual leaders is like get back to the core of community that a lot of our ancestral and indigenous tribes and cultures and communities were a part of beforehand. And I want to clarify too, when I mean indigenous, right? I don't only mean like indigenous to the Americas, like every, every student, Every single human has an indigenous lineage that maybe they were taken away from or they were forced to assimilate into like a, diff- a dominant culture that hasn't been acknowledged. We all have a path where we had that indigenous community that we used to connect to that was either stripped from us, taken away from us, or we were forced to, um, made to fall away. So, yeah. Yeah, there's also a hierarchy sometimes. And like you have to do what the leader or the teacher or whatever. And like you said, everyone has to agree with them. So it's very cultish in that way. Um, Do you have a specific example of harmful new age practices that others might not think twice about? And I know we've talked about some in the past, but like, Mm -hmm. is there some that people don't really think twice about like it's so ingrained in spirituality I think a lot of language um that's the thing for me that because I think our language too really affects our reality right like the way that we perceive things as well so something like new age spirituality is like a lot of language is really directly connected to um white supremacy um and like colorism and racism and anti-blackness. So, you know, you hear people, they'll say like, um, this is light magic and it's beautiful and it's dainty and it's good magic. And then when we talk about black magic or dark magic, like that is bad and negative. And like really think and question, like, where does that come from? <laughs> like, why are we using those particular, those particular descriptors? descriptions and how do we use that when we're talking about people as well um when I first entered the space I was called a light worker a lot and it was really unsettling for me because I was like I'm not a light worker like everything about me is dark my skin is dark my eyes are dark my hair are dark is dark um the topics that I talk about are like a little bit like darker they're not light and dainty they're not like 5D star seed language, right? Like it's very grounded, ancestral. And so I felt such a disconnection. But then ultimately, when I was processing through it too, I was just like, I don't resonate with that because it's assuming that lightness is like good and better. And like that is something that I've been combating my whole life, right? Like to assimilate to lightness whether it's like lighting your hair lighting your skin like all these things trying not to get darker like I think all of that is really connect connected and attached and sometimes it's baffling when people don't see that um 
because you know sometimes I'll bring it up and folks are like no 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 you don't understand like back in the cave days like that's why we use it because like the dark was scary and it's just like okay that might be true but also think about why we how we attribute that to humans too there is a correlation yes yeah and also I think like there really isn't good or bad magic it's like how you Mm -hmm. use it and the energy and intention you put into it so like even when people label it that way it's like you don't have to label it I I don't know I just I don't think it needs a label yeah it's the binaries like another structure of white supremacy culture is like binaries it's either or thinking like there is no spectrum which is just also harmful because that's just like life is not a life is not either or there's there's a spectrum in so many so many things yes so how do you feel about businesses or people that don't think they need to acknowledge or bring up diversity um I've been really thinking about this too like because like that's how I connected with you right I was really reaching out to spiritual leaders healers to see like what their thoughts on DEI were um and it was such an illuminating like I think I did it for like a month and a half it was so illuminating hearing people's responses having those conversations and like some folks definitely don't think that diversity is like an issue or they don't understand my understanding was a lot of folks do like think diversity is good and they think that it's important, but they don't understand that it takes work to make diversity inclu- inclusive. I think a lot of people just stop at that diversity. They're like, okay, this is a different identity that's here. This is a different identity that's here. Oh, we're diverse. We're perfect. Um, where it's like, know that's the first part of it the second part is actually being intersectional and inclusive and like allowing those folks to show up as they are without expecting them to do the work to assimilate as well or to uh, do the work of making the space more inclusive like that's the responsibility of whoever is creating the space or the the community and um so I think folks who like feel like it's not important they don't need to acknowledge it or they don't really need to invest their time or to look in investing in their education around it are really honestly going to be a little bit behind like it's inevitable it's happening from my experiences from my connections with other folks who do the exact same work diversity inclusion equity is not going to go away. Um, There's a reason why businesses invest so much money and resources in their DEI um, departments. There's a reason why folks go through trainings in it, right? And I think even then, like, there's a lot of work to be done. Like, a lot of those aren't led by people of color or people of marginalized identities um a lot of folks are like missing the mark they're just trying to check off and not really invest in doing the real work in the sense of like not even just like reading about it or like having conversations with someone about it but like actually actively working within their community and practicing doing it 
Um, so like, there's a lot of businesses who could do fine without investing in it. There's a lot of businesses who probably would prefer not having a diverse community because it's easier. It really is easier. But not only are they missing out on having an intersectional community, that's just a different feel. Um, you're going to be left behind. <laughs> People are like looking to invest in spaces that value them. There's a huge chunk of spiritual, the spiritual community that I've noticed like some of my clients um, haven't even realized are potential clients because they've only been focusing on folks that look like them, but will have a similar background to them and similar lived experience. So like, I also find like, it's going to be hard to scale your business if you don't consider other lived experiences and your marketing and your, your community and your, even your content creation. Do you find that sometimes people get offended? Like if you reach out and you're like, hey, are you interested in DEI or have you heard of it before? And how do you, you know, do it in your business? Do people ever get offended that you ask them if they are diverse enough? Like, I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, I'm so diverse. How can you ask me? Like, I don't see color. Or like, you know, I know someone who always says that. They're like, I don't see color. Mm. I'm like, I am so inclusive and all this stuff. And I'm just like, okay, but what do you do? Like, what do you mm -hmm. do to actually show that or prove that? Because you all, yeah. all you do is say that I don't see color and then that's it. Like, that doesn't do anything. Yeah, I haven't had folks who are like, um, get offended, but I do like, I think some folks are not self-aware that they're not that inclusive. Like one of the things that I asked when I was reaching out to folks is like on a scale of like one to 10, where would you fall? Where do you think you are? Me currently at the core of, well, first of all, I think when people think diversity, they automatically go to race, right? And that's not the case. Like when I even talk about DEI, I'm not solely talking about race. I think that's a good, because race is what you see clearly, like physically clearly, that's a good starting point, but that's where people get lost a little bit. Like that's where there's less intersectionality, right? We're talking about various back backgrounds. So number one, people aren't thinking about it holistically, right? They're looking about like, oh, I have like, three black people that I've worked with and like two people who are like this and two like this that's how they're thinking so I was really surprised but not surprised when I was like sending the rating and folks were saying I'm a nine I'm a ten and I'm like looking through their content and I'm like mm, okay <laughs> like it's like this degree of self-awareness because I think people also don't want to get real with themselves and say like hmm, I'm maybe not as diverse as like maybe I want to be or like maybe I feel like I should be. Like there's a lot of, again, I think they're trying to avoid that guilt and shame. So they're just saying whatever they can to ensure that they're not perceived as not diverse. I think like a lot of folks too, so many folks, for example, are afraid to be called racist. Like if you call them racist, it's like one of the worst things someone could be called right now. 
but they're afraid of being called it, but they're not afraid of engaging in racism. So like, they're not, they don't want to be called that, but they're not investing in making sure that they're continuously being anti-racist. Same with like ableist, same with like transphobic, um, homophobic, right? Like nobody wants to be called those things, but at the same time, folks aren't investing in unlearning. They're not investing in the education. They're not investing in understanding how they may still participate in those things. So um, I think I don't encounter people who get offended, but I encounter people who don't want to get real with themselves about how they might participate in these systems and structures, because we all do. Even if you're a part of that, even if you're a part of a marginalized community, like you still participate because that's our socialization. It's really understanding like the socialization and combating it. Yeah. Is that like what your ancestral work is about? And like, what does that look like? And how do you help people with their ancestral work? Yeah, I think my ancestral work is really focused on just reconnecting to the ways that your ancestors maybe felt like they weren't seen or valued themselves. Like, I think every person has a lineage of ancestors who were harmed, um, even though sometimes, like, I sometimes I work with folks who are like I know my ancestors were all terrible they were all colonizers they were all this and it's like that's not necessarily true <laughs> right like just like you're a multifaceted being like your ancestors were multifaceted beings and like a lot of our ancestors were harmed by these structures a lot of them participated in it some led it but a lot of them were also just as harmed and so I feel like that's sometimes where the resistance comes to or like when people are like I don't have privilege like I had to work hard like all these things it's because like this generational like misunderstanding miscommunication of like not acknowledging the harm and the the hurt that has happened and that kind of like lingers um so I help people like really just reconnect to their lineage um and I'm like more one-to-one, like if you're trying to do ancestral work, understand the generational trauma, um, it's just like connecting back through visualizations, meditations, and allowing them to really just be in your presence, because I think a lot of us have like disconnected from that as well, especially in Western culture, like I, in Indigenous and African culture, you'll see that there's a lot of ancestor remembrance. Um, but in the Western space, it's just not as seen as much, or even Asian culture as well, actually. Um, so it's like just sparking that connection. And then like when folks feel ready, asking about the generational traumas that have happened, asking about the generational cycles that are continually happening and how to address them and heal them and make sure that not only like our they say in ancestral healing, when you're healing, not only are you healing for the seven generations that are coming, but you're also healing the seven generations back because that trauma just like lives and is passed down. Um, so holistically that way and for like businesses, it's just like addressing, again, it, it kind of lingo, it lingers like your personal ancestral connection 
can linger in your business as well. But um, it's just interesting, like, for example, sometimes I help folks that, like, do retreats, right? So usually a retreat, they're going to, um, like, a wellness center, a place that's usually, like, with nature and things. And, like, one of the things I help folks in the retreat is, um, like, thanking the ancestors of the land and acknowledging them. That can go a long way for for affecting and, and influencing your energy of your healing space right if you're not acknowledging the ancestors of the land especially if they've been harmed and then you're wanting to heal on that same land it's it's a different energy right if you acknowledge them versus if you don't um and it can also help affect like how safe the space feels if you take that time to acknowledge and nurture the land before allowing all these folks to do their healing and to do like a lot of intense work um so i help like businesses do that ensure that the land is acknowledged um even like give back to the the descendants of those ancestors of that land can go a long way as well like money is an energy so like that's a way to um, help balance out the energy especially for folks who have been historically harmed um, so yeah that's how I really incorporate the ancestral healing in my consulting and coaching for someone to do ancestral healing do they have to know their ancestors like do you have to do 23 and me or something <laughs> uh, yeah, no you don't actually at all um because also like your DNA too, the way that's divvied up, like it doesn't always show everything. That's why you have like siblings who like they'll have the same parents, but the way that their DNA is divvied up is just different. But um, yeah, you don't need to know them. I find with ancestral work, it's really interesting. Like when I was diving into my own ancestry, so my parents are West African and my assumption in my whole life was like, okay, they're West African. They were never enslaved, like the trans the transatlantic slave um slavery. They probably didn't participate in that. Like we know our tribes. I know my ancestry. Um, it wasn't until I started diving into ancestry work that I found out that I was actually Afro-Brazilian, that a part of my ancestors were enslaved and they were part of the transatlantic slavery. Um, and I wouldn't have found that out if it were not for my ancestral work. So I found with ancestral work, once you set the intention and you're like, I want to know more about my ancestors, the healing that I need to do, but also my ancestral inheritance, which is like the gifts that you've been given, the like intuition, intuitive gifts that you have, the magical gifts that you have. Once you do that, then the pieces kind of come together. Like they're like, okay, now I'm going to drop like this tip of information and this tip of information. So if anything, I find it more fun to not know all your ancestry and do ancestral work and then put the pieces together because you're entering the space without having like this precon preconceived um notions of like what you think happened um 
because especially if you're like your family history hasn't been well documented then we truly don't know like sometimes stories are passed down and like that's also great but like if we enter our ancestral healing saying like I know my ancestors are this this and this that's it and sometimes folks don't give room to like all these pieces of information that don't make sense at the time to really come together and form together it's like these little like droplings that they give you and then like when it comes together you're like wow that's my ancestry like that's amazing so you don't need to know them you don't need to know your background necessarily um it's all within you like you are them (laughs) they are you so um it's really just like getting to know yourself more and like trusting your your intuition and your own inner wisdom I think a lot of people like might not attempt to do ancestral work because they're like I don't know anything about my ancestors or I don't even know where to start so Mm -hmm. it's great that you don't have to know anything about that yeah Um, what I know that you have a workshop called perfectionism is ruining your community and I was wondering if you could talk about like what inspired that because I think it's it's great Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's so true yeah I work with a lot of my clients on combating their perfectionism I think that it could be such a buzzkill um, for everything that we do um but specifically with perfectionism ruining your community like professionalism is the first pillar of white supremacy culture because it's this standard that um, you can never reach. So you feel exhausted by always trying to be perfect and reach that standard. Um, And so when you're exhausted, when you are overwhelmed and trying to reach a standard that doesn't exist, that's impossible to reach, um, it's hard for you to do a lot of self-actualization. It's hard for you to have these more in-depth conversations about nuance it's it's um causes you to be fearful of having conversations that you might be perceived as not perfect and not all-knowing and not saying the perfect thing or um knowing the perfect thing to respond to and things like that so I've noticed that for me and my work the people's fear of not being perfect or their internalized perfectionism is usually what impedes them from doing the work of being anti-racist, anti-oppressive, and being more intersectional in their lives. And so it ruins your community because also when we are expecting an unrealistic standard for ourselves, we usually put that into other folks. Um, and people also don't thrive under those conditions. So if you have that internalized perfectionism for yourself, um, consciously or unconsciously, you might be putting that onto other people and it just is hurting your community overall, especially because, um, perfectionism dislikes, um, flexibility and it dislikes, um nuance and if we don't get into the nuance of knowing like things are complicated and things are not going to always be straightforward or have like a perfect ending a perfect understanding um then perfectionism 
would rather like dampen that and not really participate in it. So like you don't end up diving into like nuanced conversations in your community. Um, or I've even had like in real time, like clients saying like, I am afraid to have a more diverse retreat because like if something happens, I don't know the perfect thing to say. So like, that's why I like unconsciously have, but like consciously and still marketing to only cis white women, for example. Um, it's like really like the fear of like taking risks and like trying new things out as well. And like, if you don't try new things out, if you don't get out of your bubble, then like nothing is going to change. You won't create more intersectional communities. Um, so yeah, I think it can just be a real damper on our communities that we could be creating. Um, so yeah, that's why I really invested in workshop yeah and speaking of retreats you have an upcoming retreat do you want to talk a little bit more about like what your treats about and what inspired you to do it yeah so this is actually my third retreat um and it's a little different than the other ones I've done um so this one's specifically for like business and spiritual wellness healers, but not only for businesses, actually, for anyone who's like creating a space where they want to ensure that it is safer for all folks and also that um, it is more intersectional and like practicing having an intersectional mindset um, that can really also accelerate everything in your business. Like the more intersectional you are, the more like it starts sparking like these conversations that you're having within your communities and um, like even your content creation, all that. But anyway, the retreat is... um, So my background is also education. I'm a special education teacher. I got my master's in special education. And so something that we talk a lot in the education space is you need to create safer spaces for students to integrate new information. And my strongest belief is that a lot of times we think of like students and children, once they hit 18, it's like, okay, it's all done. But I think all of that, we take all of that with us as adults, but we're not given the resources and spaces to continue to be nurtured in that way so this retreat is that being that nurtured it's coming together with folks who really care about being more intersectional being more anti-oppressive in their spaces in their business um and also want to practice like holding restorative conversations they want to practice facilitation when harm does arise they want to practice um, doing land acknowledgement when they are hosting their own in-person um, events. And then we're also going to be diving into that fear, like why are we fearful of doing this work and why are we fearful of learning all these things <laughs> and then the ancestral connection as well. So it's a combination of like really working on your healing spaces, but also nurturing your own self and understanding the ways that you participate in harmful systems and um, leaving with 
really strong tools and strategies to ensure that in your own spaces, um, you know how to navigate when harm does arise and you know um, how to set up your business so that it's not overwhelming when things are happening. My, my also one of my overall goals is like cancel culture, I think, is inevitable at this point like it is a culture so it's gonna happen but how, like what how how can our world look like of like something problematic happened someone was harmed the person addresses it and we collectively people understand okay that person's human they are clearly caring and they want to work on it how can we how can folks show that they're taking accountability without other folks like completely overwhelming them? So that's really what inspired this particular retreat. Um, because I think like a lot of that harm too could be reduced. It's just that like, we just haven't practiced. We don't know, we don't think about it before it happens and so like this is like thinking about it before it happens well I think cancel culture creates even more stress and shame and fear of asking those questions because people don't want to be canceled and they don't want to be mm -hmm. that person and they feel like oh I say one thing and then it ends everything so it instead of making it more open and like you can ask those questions you make one mistake but as long as you're open to educating yourself and fixing it it's okay you just mm -hmm. have to like not do those again and learn from it depending on what it is like you, you're canceled and it's like the end of your life basically yeah and it's knowing like what to take and what not to take because some folks like they are just like mad right like it doesn't matter what you say what you do like they're just mad other folks are like trying to express and like they're trying to vocalize their harm so it's like knowing the difference too I think there's a very fine line with all of this um and like my my experience of it is because I grew up in it right like it's part of my lived experience my intuition about it is better like I have a strong intuition around it but I think a good example just speaking of cancel culture really quickly is like for example um the re I also think it's based on lived experience right like when cancellations happen so Lizzo um was there was like the start of a cancellation for one of her songs where she said a slur or like not yeah a slur um that was ableist right even though it's in like a lot of other rap songs a lot of other R&B songs and that you don't see like other folks were getting canceled for it. She said a, said a slur in the song. So there was like a cancellation brooding, right? Her comments were full of folks like attacking her for it. And they were probably attacking her not only for the slur, but that's why I mentioned before, because they were mad about other things. She's a fat black woman. So like a lot of people are fat phobic, they're anti-black. So it was like the perfect perfect moment to like express your anger and some folks were actually genuinely like this is harmful to say um something about Lizzo that she did 
um, that is why, like, I think folks don't really, like, she's not canceled now, right? And it's not like a lingering thing where people are, like, bringing it up ever so often. Is that as soon as that was brought to her attention, she took accountability, she addressed it, she didn't ignore it. She was like, I'm so sorry, I, this is in the song. I didn't realize that it was a slur, but I realized that the impact was really harmful. She re-recorded the song within... I think even a day she re-recorded the song to check that word out and then it was over I think like right she's a black woman her lived experience is of that and like that's understanding it's understanding like what you would want yourself if you were harmed and doing that for folks whereas I think some folks like they get canceled and it's just disability for them so like they go into rejected mode like they feel rejected so they go and they're they're reclusive or they go into defensive mode or they just go into combative mode right and it's not understanding like the process that would not only like alleviate the tension but would help nurture themselves and be more sustainable for themselves and I think it is an intuitive thing um so like practicing and practicing that intuition and learning how to perceive it and also learning what to do to like not only not only nurture yourself but not like throw more fuel into the fire is a skill that I'm hoping to really teach folks and encourage folks to like pass down um to other people because I think that could alleviate a lot of the tension like you mentioned and the stress of like asking the wrong questions and saying the wrong thing um I think the root of it is acknowledgement and also accountability yeah yeah I totally agree um Something I have a question about, but it's mm-hmm. totally okay because it's a little bit off topic if you don't want to talk about it. Since you are a teacher, I mm-hmm. don't know if this is like as big in California, but I live in Arizona mm-hmm. and they always talk about quote unquote critical race theory in schools and mm-hmm. how it's a huge thing. So I was wondering how you felt about that and if you deal with that as a teacher or if you know other teachers who deal with that and just kind of like your view on the whole situation yeah I am in California but I grew up in Georgia so I'm from Atlanta so I totally get the vibe um I think it's honestly just fear right education is so and like it's so important, but it's such an access to freedom. It truly is. The more that you know about something, the more that you read about things, that you see these different perspectives and that you're not just like in a bubble, even if you don't agree with something, but you're reading about it, you're understanding it, it just helps shift your mindset so much about things. I think it's just the fear, right? Like I talked like about before, the fear of acknowledgement and really diving into these topics. Folks don't feel like they could have these conversations. It's a lot of the guilt and the shame and like not wanting to feel that. Um, I feel like when I hear people talk about the opposition to critical race theory, it is that. It's like, well, we don't want like the kids to feel bad. And we don't want to have to explain that as parents. And it's just like, well, why? Because I think that's what continues the cycle of harm. I think that's why we continuously are having issues because no one wants to put it out in the open and actually discuss it. Um, And 
it's not easy. And I think people just aren't ready to do that work. Um, I think though, it's, it's like when you see with every, every like dictatorship, every um, cult, every huge instance in history where folks have been socialized to think one way the first thing that they do is burn books um, and like stop uh, access to texts and um like these catalysts of manuscripts and so I think that's like a version of what they're trying to do in the states but I feel like it's not going to work as much as as well as it has in the past. Um, so obviously it's like a very real thing. Um, but like, that's also like why, if you know better, share it. If you have read something that could spark like something for someone else, share it. If you, even if you're not perfect at it, right? That's combating the perfectionism. Even if you don't know, like, the exact source, the exact dates, share it because you never know how that conversation could like illuminate something for someone, could be a catalyst for something for someone. Um, so yes, and also with education right now, I think what they're trying to do is privatize it as well. So that's why like there's a huge teaching shortage and like they're not trying to work with teachers to do, to have better conditions and better pay and better support. Um, they're trying to privatize it. But I really, what comes to mind intuitively too is like, I don't know if y'all have seen like, they're saying that um, every empire, I think, ends every 250 years in the United States, like the end of the empire is coming up. I really feel like that's something that's gonna just spark something. So it looks really bad right now. It's really daunting, but um like you said like luckily I'm in California like it feels like we're doing the opposite (laughs) very much so like we're even like they're telling us to put like certain posters in our classrooms and like I know in Florida like my sister's from Florida or she lives in Florida and she was saying like certain teachers are getting like in trouble for putting certain posters up um I think even though it's like really harsh to see it's also showing the reality of things. Like there are some places that are more progressive and they do care about like that that diversity and that inclusion. And there's some places that are so fearful about it that they are trying to prevent people in their own classrooms from sharing it. So it shows us that we have a lot of work to do, but it also shows that a lot of folks are doing the work. So it's not so far fetch. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it is like I feel Mm -hmm. like the people who have those views are the smallest amount of people, but they're just so loud that it seems like, oh, everyone has that viewpoint. Uh last question is what does magic mean to you? Uh, Magic to me is just like being yourself. Like I think that something in the spiritual space and some spiritual spaces I would say actually is like there is such a dehumanizing 
aspect of being human. Like everyone's like, I want to be in the 5D and I want to up level. I'm like, this is not my planet. This planet is ghetto. And to me, the magic is the humanity. Like I love being human. I love being on earth. Um, I am a Taurus, so earth sign, but I just, I think it is magical. I think humans themselves are so magical and I'm so proud of humans. Like, yes, there's terrible things, but there's been so, so many amazing things as well. And that's really magical to me. That's why I want to invest in humanity so much. So, yeah. That's beautiful. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I had such a great time talking with you. There will be links in the show notes for where people can find you and everything. So yeah, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me.